I believe that part of our confusion in this world and our, our, our struggle to understand who am I and who am I supposed to be and how do I live, I believe a big part of our confusion comes from trying to do too much of it ourselves. So what if your life is actually leading to death? And what if God invites you today to look to his son who gave everything Say, help me to surrender who I am as a dad and who I am as a husband and who I am as a child and who I am as a coworker. You know, there's a way of life in scripture that those of us who are employees or servants or slaves, we should submit to our masters or those authorities over us. What if you submitted to your boss in a whole new way tomorrow morning? I said, you know what? I don't always like the things my boss has me do, but I'll do them joyfully and cheerfully as if unto the Lord. Would that change how you feel about work? Maybe. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Once again, good morning. Last week as we continued in this series of unmaking and letting go of things maybe we've held true or believed that are not what God has said, we last week looked at this idea of a creator that we were made in the image of God by a God who is present, who is powerful, and who is loving. We were made with a purpose and not with aimlessness. We are not accidents and not mistakes. As we continue in this unmaking process today, we're gonna talk about an issue that I think plagues most of us, an issue of confusion and chaos. Anybody ever looked out at the world around you and said, how can this be? Why do these things happen? I don't quite understand what, I, what I'm supposed to make of God or of this world or of my fellow man because this world is a total stinking mess. Anybody ever had thoughts similar? Maybe you used other words, a little more emotion. Our world is filled with chaos and confusion. In fact, we're taught that chaos should be natural. Now, we don't call it that normally, but we certainly act like it. You see, last week as I talked about this idea of a creator, I said that we have made ourselves in our own image and we have sought to be self-made without a creator who gives us purpose. But we need to rethink how we view this world and even ourselves and how we view God because if he made us, there is meaning in all things. The problem is if he didn't make us, if we happened by accident, if we stumbled into this world by some miracle of randomness, there is no defined shape 
to anything. Let me clarify a little bit. If everything happened entirely by accident, that means everything that is could be and perhaps should be something different. And so everything that is as we know it, perhaps we need to reject and overthrow and say, let's do something different because what we've had isn't good. Consider the family. We live in a world that has viewed the family as actually a burden and a problem. And maybe you love your family, maybe your family's wonderful, maybe they're not, I I don't know, but collectively, as a, a culture, we have said family is ultimately optional. You can make and define your own family by the collection of friends you have around you, and family's not always blood. Now, there's some truth to that that is valuable, right? Like, if you're single or even if you're married, you can have family that are people dear that you love that are close to you if you don't live geographically close to your blood-related family. But the problem with that very same idea is as we pursue family can be whatever you make of it, family loses its value and becomes less of a priority and more of a choice. If I want to have family, I can. If I don't, the idea is a burden and I don't like that. If my family is hard to deal with, I'll just walk away and create new family. Anybody in here have a family that's hard to deal with? Oh, wait, don't raise your hands. They're probably sitting next to you. Let's just be honest, though. Like Every family on some level is hard to deal with, right? Because we all have our own sins and our own brokenness and our own wounds. And if family is optional and is a choice, well, I'll just choose to walk away and do something different. Make my own family or define family however I want it. How else do we lose a sense of shape and meaning if we don't have a creator? Well, who am I if I'm made by myself? Whoever I want to be. And there's some real value in being whoever I want to be, right? Especially in this country where we have opportunities before us that we can rise above perhaps the the situation we were born into and become somebody new. We have great stories in this country of people who came from families of brokenness and abuse and addiction and struggle and said, that's not going to be my future any longer. And they break some of those generational chains and redefine themselves as an entirely different person and it changes their family tree for generations to come. And that's wonderful. But also this idea that I can be whoever I want to be means that who are you to tell me who I am or who I am not? Whatever feels right or seems right or is right to me is good and therefore my truth is always truth and you can't challenge that. Have you ever encountered that in this world? Somebody who's dead set on the things they believe and it doesn't matter how gracious or how kind or how loving you are, if you don't believe what they believe, no matter how big or how small, you're the problem. Have you ever met those people? Have you ever been that person? Probably. Because the truth is, in this world that we have recreated to be self-made, where everything is accidental and random, there is no set way or order of life that is good, except for what you decide is good for you. And I believe this attitude leads to a whole host of challenging confusions. 
Who am I to be in relationship to my spouse? Well, that depends on what I want to be. Who am I to be in relationship to my boss? Well, that depends on how well he pays me or how, how well I like him. Who am I to be in relationship to my neighbor or to my family or even to myself? Who am I to be? Whoever I want to be. And how do I live as this person? However I want to live. So it's okay in this world to treat other people unkindly as long as they deserved it. It's okay in this world of being whoever I want to be to push away people who want to love you because you just don't really like them and that's okay. It's also okay to redefine yourself and be somebody you're not in a way that's really unhealthy. For example, in this world of chaos and confusion, it's okay to believe that you're a really generally good person. I don't know if you know this or not, and this is not like doom and gloom, woe is you, hellfire and brimstone. That's not where I'm going, but just the reality is you and I are not generally good people. If we were generally good people, we wouldn't need to be forgiven because generally good people have done generally good things. And there's this desire in our culture that says because I can be whoever I want to be, as long as I'm not as bad as that guy, I'm pretty good myself. And that always takes the, the onus of looking inward and seeing our own brokenness and our own fault away from us and begins to say our responsibility is to fix the other broken mess. And the more we have this attitude, whether we know it or not, the easier it is to divide and to hate and to find all the reasons to justify the way you're living because you're not like those people. This is not good. It's not good in our world, it's not good in our church, it's not good in our communities or our families. You and I need to be honest with ourselves. Honest enough to say I am imperfect and broken and maybe there's a lot about me that needs to change. Maybe the way that I'm living is not healthy or fulfilling. Maybe the things that I'm pursuing are not worth pursuing. Maybe there needs to be intentional purpose and the way I structure my day-to-day -day living and the things I do and the things I don't do, maybe that's good. We heard in that video from Ecclesiastes chapter three, if you have never read Ecclesiastes, let me just give you a warning. Only read it when you're really happy and joyful. Because if you're feeling pretty down and you start reading Ecclesiastes, you're probably not gonna feel much better. Because Ecclesiastes is one of the several books of wisdom in the Bible that was written, this one in particular, by Solomon, the wisest man ever. And Solomon, in all of his wisdom and all of his pursuits, pursued everything. He had wealth, he had power, he had fame, he had women, he had whatever he wanted. And Ecclesiastes is his owning that everything he had pursued was aimless and empty and vain. In fact, if you read it over and over and over again, he's like, this is vain because we're all gonna die and none of it matters. Wow, what a happy book. But Ecclesiastes defines that there is a time for everything. There is a set purpose and a set order and a set way in which things work in this world. There's a time for mourning and a time for dancing. 
And in our chaos and our confusion and our desire to overthrow any sort of order that presses upon me how I should be or who I should be or what is good or what is bad, anything that seeks to be structured in this world that we try to overthrow makes us buddy against even the very foundations of how this world works. We want to be happy all the time and we think the pursuit of happiness is our goal. And yet there is a time for mourning. And if we refuse to allow ourselves to grieve and mourn in hard times, we can't really be happy either. If we refuse to celebrate in the times that we should celebrate because we're so overwhelmed with our grief or with our confusion or with the chaos of this world, we miss out on what God has created us for. There is a time for all things an order and a structure and a purpose in this world. Throughout the Old Testament, God often talks about this order and this way the world works in that very language. He calls it the way. He says, look, the way that we live matters. In the New Testament, this language was continued even further, and New Testament Christians described the way of life and the way of death. There's a way that we can walk in order and a structure and an intentional path we can pursue that leads to life. And there's one that we can fall into that leads to death. This is it. Jesus himself used this language when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? He is the very structure and order by which we submit ourselves to. So we're going to today, as we unmake this idea of everything is accidental and shapeless and without permanent structure, we're going to dive into one of these wisdom books a little bit, Proverbs chapter 16. If you'd like to follow along in the Blue Bibles, it's on page 677. They're in the pews in front of you or along the walls upstairs. Page 677, Proverbs chapter 16. Anybody ever read Proverbs before? Anybody ever found encouragement in Proverbs? Anybody ever been really confused by Proverbs? Well, good. Here's why. Proverbs is a collection of statements of wisdom that sometimes don't at all feel interconnected. It's Solomon writing down to his son, here's a lot of things I've learned and he begins with a whole series of chapters where he personifies wisdom and makes wisdom a person who is being pursued actually by an adulteress, a woman who is trying to steal away and destroy all that wisdom and goodness. And this father writing to his son says, how do you pursue that way of life that is good? How do you live in a way that is healthy and full? And how do you run from it? What things should you avoid? In chapter 16, this is where we're going to focus today. He gives this bit of wisdom. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. We'll keep going here in a moment, but let's just pause there for a moment. 
Throughout the Old Testament and New, this language of the ways of man or the way of life is regularly used to describe this is how God created things to be. There certainly are things that just are. And we don't have to like them, they just happen. So the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. See, every one of us will desire to walk about our life with a plan for what is the good life. We want our kids to grow up and always be provided for, to go and have a better education than we ever had. We want our jobs to be fulfilling and satisfying, and we want to make enough money to do whatever we want, whenever we want, so that eventually we can retire, and not only retire, retire really, really well, and not have to worry about ever working again. We want life to go a certain way. How many of your plans have happened the way you hoped? See, generally, very few of our plans work out perfectly. Now, maybe the outcome becomes good even though it wasn't how you planned, but most of the time, our planning falls short. Our planning is insufficient. Because no matter how much we try to have the perfectly planned out life, life will happen. None of us plan for the economy to struggle or plan to lose a job or plan for our family to get injured in an accident or plan for a whole host of these things that can happen to us in this world. It says the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. This proverb, this wisdom for us, is that no matter how hard we plan, no matter how much they'll fall apart, God will always speak wisdom on the tongues of his people. He'll always provide in those broken plans and those things that fall apart the words we need to hear and the things we need to know to keep going. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. Let's be honest, most of the time, we don't set out to do things we know are bad ideas. And I specify most of the time, because we all know that one guy who's like, I have this great idea, watch this. And we know that it's gonna end up really badly. When I was doing youth ministry years ago, we, we took a ski trip with our kids out to Colorado. And there was one kid, I, I didn't see this, but others were there. He decided it'd be fun to climb up on top of the shed that was there at the resort and, and snowboard off and do a backflip. And he nailed it perfectly. Everybody thought this was so cool. They said, do it again and we'll film it. And you should know that's when things go wrong. So we have a perfectly captured video of him breaking his arm the second time, which we then had to share with his parents asking why was he on the roof to begin with. Everything seems good at the time and it's only in hindsight we realize maybe my plans and my motives and my ambition were not actually as pure as I thought. Maybe there was inside of me brokenness that wanted to do something for the sake of revenge, even if I justified it as justice or kindness. Maybe I wanted bitterness and harm, and I wanted something bad for that person I should have loved, so I acted kind, even though I wasn't at all hoping for kindness. None of us believe our ways are evil. It says the Lord weighs the spirit. Whether our intentions are pure or our motives are right, God knows what is true. 
ultimately what is true is that you and I are broken. We are sinful. We will do that which we should not do over and over and over again. We will create a plan for our life based on the things we think we need and a structure for what is good based on what we perceive to be lovely. And it will fail and cause hurt and pain. The Lord knows. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. You see, if we set out in this world according to our way and our path and what makes sense to me and what feels good to me and what I want in my life, it will fail. If not now, eventually. There's a whole lot of people who set out with grand ambitions. I want to make a lot of money and provide for my family. I want to have a lovely job and a lovely house and all these great things. And on their deathbed, they never say, I just wish I had a bigger boat. They never say, I just wish my house was a little bit cleaner. No, they, they usually on their deathbed look back and see all the relationships that suffered for them to get to what they thought they wanted. All the relationships that fell apart because they weren't present, but they were too busy doing their own plan and their own work. This would be incredibly depressing wisdom if not for this promise. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. See, whatever we do, if we do it unto the Lord, it will ultimately be fulfilling and joyful and peaceful. Not peaceful in the sense that there's no turmoil, but peaceful in the sense that God will strengthen us through all the hardships, knowing that he is with us and for us and leading us and guiding us. It will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. These words of wisdom I find really challenging. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination of the Lord. What does it mean to be arrogant of heart? I believe to be arrogant of heart is to see my way as the way. To insist on my will and my agenda and my plan, this is absolutely right. And let's be honest, who among us doesn't do that regularly? Whether it's with our spouse or our boss or whomever, we go about this way of life, this life we've been given as if everything we're doing is good and right and the problem is other people. This is true of how we think about our families and our coworkers and our day-to-day. I mean, in fact, it's true even of the fact that we don't think of these things most of the time. Let's be really honest. How many of you have a favorite show on Netflix or Discovery Channel or Disney Plus or something that you like to watch semi-regularly? Any one of those streaming services. Is there anything wrong with watching those shows? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on what you're watching. I don't know. But... How many of us spend our day at work thinking about the vacation we want to take or the things we can't wait to do at home when we get home to finally relax or all the busyness we have planned for later in the week or all these things and we lose sight of the very task in front of us and we rarely stop when we get home to say, is this actually a good and healthy way of living? 
Is this actually fulfilling and joyful? In fact, I think arrogance of heart is not only a knowledge that my ways and my will are best, but arrogance of heart is a refusal to stop and reflect what's actually worth doing and worth not doing. What's worth giving up for the sake of gaining something better? Since this arrogance of heart is an abomination to the Lord, be assured he will not go unpunished. Now, I don't think our God is an angry, judging, wrathful God who's like waiting to catch you doing wrong. So I think when the proverb writes that this arrogance of heart will not go unpunished, I think there's a very simple truth to that. If you eat an unhealthy diet all the time, if your staple food is Twinkies and pie, there's a really good chance your health will suffer. That's just the way it is. If your staple activity is sitting on the couch and doing nothing, and you're also eating this unhealthy diet, there's a really good chance you're physically going to be worn out and tired all the time. If your way of living is to sit and binge watch whatever that show is you enjoy, or to wake up in the morning and start your day with an hour of the news, or an hour of your social media of choice, or whatever it is that you fill your time with, If it's not a good way of life, I think the punishment that comes is life is just less fulfilling. In fact, we're the most connected culture in the history of the world in the sense that we can immediately talk to or see anybody anywhere, anytime. And yet, how many of us feel lonely and isolated and anxious and worried and like this world is without love or joy or peace? Perhaps the arrogance of our heart that says this way of life that is consumed with things less than important is being punished by the Lord not in anger or wrath, but the very natural consequence. These things will kill the very spirit God's put inside of us. By by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. In our ways that lead to emptiness and death, there is hope. This way is changed and atoned for and made new by steadfast love and faithfulness. And our promise that we have received even this morning is that we have a God who loves us unconditionally, who is faithful to us always, who gives to us a way of living. He says, I'm not angry or mad. Trust me, this will be good for you. We have a God who's given his son that we may turn from evil. We may look to all that he has done and the death that he has died and the life that he offers and we can live differently. So what does this look like in really practical terms? 
I don't know how many of you in here are husbands, but you know the Bible has a very clear picture for what way of life you should live as a husband. And that way of life as a husband is one in which you love your wife in the same way that Christ loves his church and gives everything up for her. What would your life look like if that was the way you chose to live? Sacrificially giving everything for her sake. And for those of you who are single, in this word, there is a way of life to live in which our ultimate end goal is not getting married, and so we pursue all these empty relationships in the hopes that one day we end up there. But our ultimate end goal, whether we're single or married, is to be with God and become like him and then to do the things he does. And what if for those of us who are single, The way of life we pursue is not one that is always wishing, God, if only I had somebody, then life would be okay. But one that said, God, teach me to be content even now. To be who you made me to be with or without this person I hope for dearly. Children, there's a way of life that God prescribes that simply works honor your father and mother. If you are here today and you are a child, even if you're an adult child, and I don't mean that insultingly, like you have parents who at one point gave you birth. Wonderful. Life will go better for you if you honor those parents. How you honor them, I don't know. Some days it's really hard when those parents aren't honoring God. Children, what if you seek to honor your mother and father as God tells us to? Life will go better. There's a way of living in Scripture that is completely against anything our American dream establishes, and that is a way of honoring the Sabbath. Like you and I were made limited. We can't do everything, we can't be everyone, we can't go everywhere, we can't have all that we've hoped for always. And by practicing a way of pausing and slowing down with purpose, we recognize not only our own limits, but the limitless love of a God who cares for us enough to command that we rest. What if you and I began to live not according to our ways, but his way, to establish our plans not according to what feels good or right or seems lovely to me, but to what is just true and beautiful and good. What if we established our ways not by our own strength and our own willpower, but by surrender? There's another way of life throughout Scripture that we often want to overthrow and reject. And that is this, the way of life often looks like death. Death of our own ambitions and our own understandings and our own plans and death of our own self. This is why Jesus himself even told us that to follow him we would take up our cross and die to ourselves and surrender all those things we hold dear, not in a sense of this world is meaningless and vain and without purpose. But in the truth that when we surrender them before him and we lay it before him and we establish our plans not by our desires, but say, God, what have you said? 
What are you saying? What are you doing? Who are you today? And in this we surrender everything. The way of life is this promise that we will, no matter what we lose here and now, gain with God. It's a promise. I believe that part of our confusion in this world and our our, our struggle to understand who am I and who am I supposed to be and how do I live, I believe a big part of our confusion comes from trying to do too much of it ourselves. So what if your life is actually leading to death? And what if God invites you today to look to his son who gave everything Say, help me to surrender who I am as a dad and who I am as a husband and who I am as a child and who I am as a coworker. You know, there's a way of life in scripture that those of us who are employees or servants or slaves, we should submit to our masters or those authorities over us. What if you submitted to your boss in a whole new way tomorrow morning? I said, you know what? I don't always like the things my boss has me do, but I'll do them joyfully and cheerfully as if unto the Lord. Would that change how you feel about work? Maybe. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Let's unmake this idea that there is no set structure or way things should be. Submit ourselves to the way God tells us it is. In that we will find life. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that you establish our way. That we look at our own hearts and we believe all of our thoughts and ambitions are pure. But you know what is true. You know that we are broken and sinful God, it is only steadfast love and faithfulness that atones for sin. So it is by your steadfast love and faithfulness that we learn today to surrender. All of our plans and all of our ways and all the things we've created for what we think is true. God, teach us to trust in what you have designed for families, for relationships, for each one of us day by day as we live with you. Teach us to live according to your word and your way and what is good and what is right, what is beautiful and what is true. May we find in you today life, life to the full, filled with peace and joy and strength, whatever tomorrow may bring. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our worship, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. Uh, Last week, we had somebody who texted in a whole bunch of questions, and unfortunately, we accidentally missed a bunch of them because there are so many in one text thread, we didn't realize they were all from this week. And one of the questions was, are we robbing God if we don't tithe a literal 10%? And so as we go to collect an offering, let me just speak to that question. We'll get to more questions here in a moment. So in that question, it comes from this Old Testament idea of tithing or giving 10% of what God has given to us back to him for his purposes and for his work. And this was commanded in the Old Testament and nowhere in the New Testament is it commanded. 
And so Christians for much of the last 2,000 years have questioned, do we still need to give all that money to God or can we just give a little bit to him? Like what's the bare minimum that he requires of us? Nothing. He doesn't require anything of you whatsoever. He's done all the work to forgive you and give you his grace. What he does invite each one of us into is a practice of generous living in which we find ourselves freed from all of the temptation and the burden of what if I don't have enough money or how do I have something more later and we're freed from all the stress that comes from that. And so he invites every one of us to give and to give cheerfully. And so here in this place, we believe that a practice of a tithe or 10%, the words are synonymous, that's what it literally means, is a healthy practice to begin giving generously, but it's not the end goal. For some of us, the idea of giving 1% is so astronomically scary, like I can't even start there, and that's okay. And for others, 10% is really easy because we've been doing it for a long time, and it's just natural now. And so what we believe in this place is however you give and whatever you give, whether it's 1% or 20% or a dollar, it doesn't matter. We believe that practicing giving helps us to grow in generosity and find joy and peace in whatever God provides to us. So if you came prepared to give today and you would like to give with cash or check, you can do so in the popcorn bucket in the back as you exit. I believe Michelle will be holding it again. You can put your cash or check along with that physical connect card in there so we can pray with you, so we can connect with you and, and just see how you're doing this next week. If you're somebody who came prepared to give and prefer to give online, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. God doesn't love you anymore because of what you give. We don't give to get his love. We give because we already have it. Thank you. Well, as I mentioned, every week you're welcome to text in your questions and I'll do my best to respond. So we're going to begin with a few of the questions that came in last week that we missed and then we'll get to the ones from today. Tyler, what do you, what do you have for me today? All right. Here's the first one we missed last week. If Jesus forbade oaths, is sin slash direct defiance of his word if you swear or take an oath in court legal setting? Yeah. I may have read that weird. That, that's fine. So uh, if, if Jesus forbade taking an oath, is it sinful in the court of law to take an oath? Well, the answer to that question is it depends on which denomination you're a part of. There are church bodies that refuse to take an oath uh, in the court because they say we can't do that. And there are others who say... Jesus' forbidding of an oath doesn't mean that all oaths are evil or bad, um, but in the context, he's saying, look, we don't know what tomorrow holds, so we can't promise anything, so let's just be faithful today. So if your oath is that you're being faithful today, maybe that's right. If your oath is a promise of things to come, maybe that's wrong. Ultimately, what I would say is, if you feel like it's wrong to take an oath, don't. That's simple. There are some oaths and promises that are good. Like when we take wedding vows, we say to one another, I will do this forever. Now, anybody in here married? Anybody in here fulfill those wedding vows perfectly thus far? If so, please teach me, because I have failed. I have not always been the husband I need to be. I've not always loved the way I promised I would love. So even those vows we took are more, this is what I'm aspiring to and not necessarily this is what I have been. Um, so maybe it's right. Maybe it's wrong. I don't know. Cool. Uh, okay, here's another one. 
Uh, this is also from last week. Do you think anxiety is a choice considering what Jesus says about being anxious and fearful? Sometimes. And by that I mean we can choose to fill our minds with things that will induce anxiety. We can choose to fill our minds with all of the social media feed and all the news feed and all the stuff that wears us down. Uh, And that's probably going to make you more anxious. At the same time, we can fill our minds with all the right stuff and we can fixate on God and we can be consumed with his word and still be filled with anxiety. There's a truth that anxiety is not always a choice. Uh, In fact, often it's not a choice. I don't know anybody who's anxious who likes being anxious. As somebody who struggles with anxiety, I certainly don't enjoy it or desire it for anyone. But what I do know is that my habits and my practices can change the effect that anxiety has on my daily life. So if you're somebody who's struggling with anxiety, what I strongly recommend is that you seek help. That help could begin with a community of believers who can help you know God's word a little more and maybe help you find practices and habits of what you can do when you're anxious to overcome that anxiety. That help might also look like a mental health professional who can help you walk through some of your hurts and pains and the things that maybe you didn't know were there that are leading to this anxiety. And yes, it's even okay if that help includes some medicine to say this medicine may help you uh, balance things that are chemically imbalanced and be able to uh, face this head on. So if you're struggling with anxiety, maybe it's a choice and maybe it's not, but don't do it alone. Seek help, all right? Okay, next one. Uh, This one's just a statement really, but I'm gonna read it. If your staple diet, I'd meat and cheese, I think that meant is. So if your staple diet is meat and cheese, your health will suffer. And yet that's okay because Big Pharma has pills for you. Yeah, you know, it's also true that if we have too much of anything, it can be a bad thing. Um, Too many carbs can be bad, but Jesus certainly ate bread. Uh, Too much meat can be bad, but Jesus certainly ate meat. Uh, We have a need to live in a life that seeks balance and moderation. And there's a whole lot of debate about what is healthy and what is not healthy and what is good. I know that excessive sugar like pie and Twinkies is bad, but beyond that, I think there's a lot of room where scientists disagree of what the balanced diet looks like. Um, So I just recommend generally being cognizant of are we being um, purposeful in what we eat and are we eating because it brings us peace or joy or satisfaction or are we eating for nutrition or are we eating because it's a time of celebration? Um, certainly. And when it comes to big pharma, it's a whole nother conversation. But God has given us the gift of medicine, and sometimes we abuse all of his good gifts. That's all I'll say about that. Fair enough. Um, okay, last one. Why don't, we greet, uh, sorry. Why don't we greet each other in the pews before service? That's something I grew up ju- doing, and it feels strange to not do it. So do it. There you go. So the real thing is, uh, for every one of us, we have an opportunity before us to make a change and be somebody or do something we've never done before. And if you show up here on a Sunday morning and you're like, how come nobody talks to me? Well, take the initiative and like talk to somebody else. Start the change you want to see. Uh, I think greeting one another should be our goal. We should greet each other all the time. Now, maybe what you're referring to is the practice in the church where there's like the awkward shaking of hands and, and it's like passing of peace and like the peace of God be with you, the Reese's peace is with you, the, right? And you're just like going on and on and really confused. Um, the reason we don't do that 
here regularly is because that's really, really uncomfortable sometimes if you don't know anybody and you're like, should I shake this guy's hand? I think I just saw him picking his nose. I don't really know. Uh, and so we don't do that for germs and for comfort level, but that does not mean you can't and shouldn't talk to people. So however much you're comfortable, step out of your comfort zone and greet people. Say hello to the people sitting next to you. Here's the thing that I really love. How many of you sit in the same place or close to the same place every week? Most of you, excellent. Our nature as humans is habit. We like consistency. So there's a really good chance you've noticed my wife and I always sit in this row right here, right? Because it's easy to corral our kids in that little spot. Um, we are really prone to sit in the same place. So turn to the people around you and just like get to know the people a few pews around you. Start there. Or maybe don't go straight to a place to sit, get some coffee and then find somebody you can say hello to before you sit down. I could go on and on about this. I won't because you guys are hungry. Is that it, Tyler? That is everything. Awesome. Uh, I did not yet respond to the question about church bells and steeples. That's still on my list of things I'll get to. So if that was your question and you're wondering where the response is, it's coming, all right? For those of you who are joining us for the Apostles' Creed class, we have moved locations today uh, for somebody who needs accommodations because of a medical injury. So we will be on the main floor right over by Kids Point. There's a conference room right there next to the ladies' restroom. If you have no idea where that is, come talk to me and I'll point you in the right way. I'd love to see you there. For the rest of you, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.